And welcome to Think Agility, the new podcast series from Agilisys. You might know us from our work around the UK in developing road safety strategies, research and data platforms. Over the last few years, we've been involved in running a wide variety of workshops, conferences and dozens of webinars. And occasionally people have said to us, have you thought about creating a podcast? So here we are. Think Agility aims to bring together intelligence, insight and innovation relating to the highway sector. Inevitably, there will be a focus on safety, but in particular as it relates to connected themes such as sustainability and active mobility, traffic technology, air quality and public health. So we are going to be bringing together thought leadership and the latest research and hoping to blend them into some vibrant discussion, all with the hope of helping colleagues get across issues, think more deeply and help us to move forward. In this, our second episode, we're kicking off with a discussion about the latest white paper that we've just published. Our research director and my longtime friend and colleague, Tanya Fosdick, has worked with colleagues here to digest and dissect findings from the Safe System Capacity Survey work that was undertaken in the summer of 2022, a project that enjoyed extensive support from national advisory bodies working in road safety across the UK. If there's anything that you hear in this episode that sparks your interest, and you want to dig a little deeper, we will put links into the show notes. And of course, you are probably going to want to get through another episode or two before you run along and rate us on your podcast platform. But please do make sure that you listen to more of the episodes in the series. And we would very much love it if you would subscribe. So very warm welcome, Tanya. Just as we get into the detail here of the survey and recommendations, for anyone who's unclear on what we mean by safe system. Can you just tell us a little bit about what it is and how it differs from road safety as it's been done traditionally and historically? So whilst there are some actions and activities which will seem familiar to most um, operating in the road safety world already, there are some fundamental elements which indicate a change of approach. So one of the central principles is that people make mistakes And for those of us who have been in road safety for a while, we've had a tendency to blame the road user. You know, what could they have done differently? Um, Quite a focus on non-compliance and offences. And so this understanding that people can make mistakes and do make mistakes is is a real central element of the safe system and its thinking. Another element is about being proactive. And again, going back to to some of the kind of more traditional approaches to road safety, which were traditionally reactive, this is about anticipating risk rather than waiting for something to happen um, and then responding. Back in the old safety camera days, as you'll know, we used to have to go through that agonizing wait to have five KSIs, five people killed or seriously injured in one location before we could respond. This is the complete opposite of that. How can we analyze and understand the network and the features in the network and where things may go wrong? Linked to that is kind of the acceptability or unacceptability of deaths and serious injuries that we want to aim for zero. And that we are accepting that humans are frail. We're not designed to withstand the forces which occur in a crash. Um, And lastly, or linked to that, is the fact that there is um, shared responsibility. So all of of us involved in using the road network, designing, maintaining, regulating, um, both the road network and vehicles, in fact, have a responsibility um, within a safe system. 
which links to the final part, which is it is a systemic approach. So we need to combine the efforts in order to be more effective. So quite a change to the way that we've perhaps traditionally looked at road safety. Yeah, fantastic. So where did the decision come from to undertake this survey? I mean, tell us a little bit about who was involved and what you were hoping to achieve by running the survey at this time. So the survey itself came after a number of projects we were involved in. Um, there was one specifically for national highways, which involved looking at where partnerships are in terms of their approaches to road safety right now. But also, as you said at the beginning, we've undertaken a lot of strategy reviews and partnership reviews in recent years. And there were some common threads that were coming out of those reviews about um, people's understanding of safe system and the capacity and capability to deliver it. So this is where we came together with a wide range of um, other um, interested parties in the UK sector. So in no particular order, they were PACS, the Institute of Highways Engineers, Road Safety GB, CIHT, RoadSafe, ADEPT, the Road Safety Foundation and the RAC Foundation and IAM RoadSmart. So, yeah, we came together and the idea was is really to understand the levels of understanding of safe system within the sector, what their concerns were in terms of implementing it and working towards it, and really what new skills and resources we might need in order to move forward. It's funny, I remember you telling me a story about some of those interviews with partnerships of people Googling what safe system was, even as they were expecting to talk about it in some of the interviews. So. Um, Tell me what kind of response did you get and uh, what sort of perspectives were caught up in um, in those responses that came through from the survey? So this round of the survey, and that's probably a trailer for what's to come um, later on in the discussion, um, focused really on those in the public sector who have a defined responsibility for road safety. So we received 298 responses from local authorities, police forces, fire and rescue services and partnerships. Um, as you say, we concentrated on those with, with a defined responsibility. So it didn't include NGOs or other volunteer and charitable organisations. But that's certainly something to think about in the future. And beyond the, the survey itself, was there any supplementary evidence that was considered? I mean, did you look at what the international literature says or, or was there any other way of sort of curating perspectives that could feed into the understandings that are presented in this white paper? Yeah, so in the formation of the survey, we have done a lot of work in recent years under trying to understand international best practice in relation to safe system thinking. So we've reviewed many, many different guidance documents and implementation manuals to identify the actions that um, organisations and countries may want to implement if they are looking to adopt a safe system approach. So those were used and included in the creation of the survey so that we could find out what people were familiar with and what they may be implementing themselves. So we had the survey um, and we took those results and we presented it in a webinar, which then was followed up by a couple of others, which the, the series of web webinars was really then about exploring these findings and taking experts from the UK sector well, what do we do about them? What comes next? So all of the information we gathered in those sessions fed into the white paper as well. So come on then, let's dig into uh, the results a little bit and tell us what something about what the results of the analysis tell us about 
where we're at at the moment and areas where we may need to invest further. Sure. So unsurprisingly, funding is a regularly cited barrier, both in terms of capital and revenue. And as you know, obviously over the last 15 years or so, there has been a real reduction in, in road safety funding. And so this seemed to be forefront of most respondents' minds. If we're asking them to do something different, perhaps to do something more, who's going to pay for it? So that was a, a big issue. Some of them felt that actually some of their organisations, that um, road safety wasn't seen as a priority. So obviously this is a huge barrier. You're trying to do your work that you're quite passionate about, but the organisation isn't supporting you in that. Um, and obviously that's then linked to um, the funding element of it. And I suppose that's potentially a symptom of something that, again, was cited quite often, that there is a lack of government leadership here and that is linked to funding and the, the, the kind of the future direction without targets, without a strategy as we are currently are. People are feeling quite lost and are trying to grapple with what direction do they go themselves. There was a little bit of a mixed review on professional development and whether or not there was room for improvement. Some felt that they did have the skills and experience required, whereas others were a little un uh, more uncertain about um, whether or not they needed um, some personal development or, or assistance with their teams. And I think the last thing that really came out was the fact that there is often little or no collaboration with neighbours. So often organisations or areas are working in silos, working independently. Coming back to that funding element, that probably isn't the best use of resources. You're not going to get economies of scale if you're working in isolation. So some of those themes have come out repeatedly as organisations have done analysis over the last few years. Are there any findings that have surprised you? Is there anything that you feel like we've alighted on that perhaps we hadn't really realised before undertaking this work last year? Um, as you say, I think most of them echoed what we found in partnership reviews, some of the um, understanding about safe systems, some of the funding issues and that lack of leadership are, are common threads. But I think the thing that surprised me the most was that lack of coordination with neighbours. As you'll know, again, from the safety, good old safety camera days um, going back, we used to have a real coordinated effort where resources were shared, where um, communications were strong between partnerships and, and between partnership areas. And so therefore, there wasn't quite this um, working in isolation, which perhaps we have at the moment. So it's often very easy to focus on some of the negative themes that will come through in a survey like this. But were there any things that you identified that would signify strengths that we would find currently in the sector? Sure, I think there were several points, actually. Um, one of which is that whilst understanding of the safe system might not be as, as high as some people would like, there is an increasing level of acceptance that this is the way forward and that people are really quite dedicated to learning more about it and understanding what it means for them. So I think that's a really good first step here. Um, one of the other things is actually a lot of um, partnership areas, local authorities are really starting to think about their own strategies, what's in place locally in terms of targets and performance monitoring. And there is a little bit of a momentum going on there where some partnerships are adopting some really strong 
strategies and ways of methods of working which are being um, repeated elsewhere so I think that's that's really really strong um, I think the other thing is data and obviously that's something really close to our hearts where people are thinking about the different types of data that they can use um, and are reporting that it's data is at the heart of their activities so again being evidence-led is something really key to safe system thinking great and and what about any gaps I mean, we've looked at all of the aspects of the safe system within the survey. Are there any particular gaps that emerge from the respondents? So again, from the, from the survey and both from our work at a, a local level with strategies, the interventions around safe vehicles and post-collision response tend to be weaker. These are not areas that we've traditionally worked in at the local authority or the, the public sector um, level, because obviously vehicles are seen as very much the domain of, of manufacturers or from a policy level, it's a government decision in terms of legislation and, and putting safety features in. So <clears throat> understanding what role pub the public sector has in the um, creation and use of safe vehicles, I think, is something that's really important here. Um, and post-collision response as well. It's um, obviously, again, coming back to what we've just said there about data, that's hugely important. And the analysis of, of crash data in order to inform interventions. But thinking about that proactivity as opposed to reactivity, there's probably a lot more that can be done there to use data to identify risk and to um, yeah, adopt a more proactive approach. And obviously there are also lots of other, it's not just about turning up to the crash and dealing with the immediate aftermath. There are things in the long term in terms of rehabilitation, justice, um, which really we all need to have a, a role to play. And I mean, thinking about that sort of broad application of the system, how well equipped do you think the profession is I'm guessing that here we've got respondents who are mostly those who are motivated and engaged. We've got any sort of sense of how equipped the profession is to really embrace and embed safe system fully? Sure. So they're definitely not short of passion, um, um, but there is a mixed understanding of what the safe system is and what it means. So there are definitely knowledge gaps and some of the questions were designed really to, to prompt, you know, what does the safe system mean to you? And we got a variety of responses where some people have got a really strong understanding and comprehension of what it means, both to them individually and to their organizations, whereas others, as you say, or almost having to Google it and, and cut and paste or, or really don't understand what it is. What was interesting is actually the majority wanted training in safe system. So I think <clears throat> whilst we may not be well equipped right now in terms of level of knowledge, there is that desire to upskill and embed a lot better. I think one of the other things is, as we again, as we said at the beginning, this um, change in approach requires a, a philosophical um you know, new direction and that comes with a change in culture and so it isn't just the fact that those who participated in the survey need that understanding of safe system it's their leaders it's their colleagues because we need to embed safe system thinking across all of these organizations um, including government um, to ensure that it is something that we will live and breathe as opposed to it just being words on a strategy on a shelf somewhere.
So you've touched there on embedding of safe system thinking at the government level, and the white paper draws out a wide range of recommendations, starting with leadership and political will. I was just wondering why you started there and what you think is missing. Um, what would good look like if government were to engage in the manner in which you would hope they would or expect them to? So we need that setting of the culture. So a strong endorsement from the top that safe system is the right approach, that this is the way we need to be going. So we need a commitment to implement it from the top down. Um, we also need to think about other policy linkages. So where else does road safety, um, what, what else does it affect? What other agenda do we need to tap into here? And obviously that brings opportunities because funding opportunities where we get those economies of scale and those joint goals and ambitions um, come together. Um, and I think we need a clear statement from above that death and serious injury on our roads is unacceptable. And therefore we are going to do everything we can in order to move forward. And I think all of those things then set the context for those operating at the local level in order to operate. So if I can just push back on that ever so slightly, government have been using safe system terminology since 2015, eight years down the track. Are they, what is it that they're not doing that the rhetoric would seem to indicate they are? They've put the terminology in strategy papers, etc. What would it look like for government to to do safe system properly, in your view? Well, everything we've just said there about culture. So um, we we may have been using the word safe system, but we don't have a framework to date that sets out that vision zero goal. Um, we don't have <clears throat> the policies and the strategies which are really embedding that safe system approach in terms of all of the different components from safe roads to safe vehicles to post-collision response, safe speed, safe road users. We don't have that in place right now. Um, and also, as I say, the policy linkages um, and link, you know, kind of where else do we need to be operating? Um, there are, yeah, interim targets which are unbelievably useful for focusing energy and for communicating to the public that we want to make a difference on the roads here. Safety performance indicators, how do we measure the um, the safety of our system? And many at the local level are trying to adopt that and put those into place. But actually, the only way we're really going to understand how safe our UK system is, is if that's done from the top. So that's where I was going to go next, actually, was just, you've obviously done quite a lot of work in strategy development, working at the sub-national level, bringing together partnerships and helping them to formulate strategy but you've still pulled it out as a recommendation that there is a need for more effective strategy development where are things falling down between that enthusiasm that's expressed at the local level and and what we're seeking to, to deliver nationally and where do you think we might be able to kind of close the gap in order to become much more effective so I think there are some really great examples of how strategies can be adopted and embedded and they're not just words. Um, but I do think there are examples where it is there is no action associated with um, um, 
with the commitments that are on the page. So it isn't enough to just say we're doing this. We really do need to make a difference. And we can't just wrap up our old approaches to road safety with a safe system bow and assume that it just makes it is going to magically happen. It isn't going to work like that. So um, I think there are um, actions in terms of the creation of those safety performance indicators. I do think those are key because it really focuses the mind away from how do we measure how many tickets we, we, um, we dished out last month for, for speeds? Actually, what what are compliance levels like? What um, you know, what are the the star ratings of our local roads, and where should we be taking action? And <clears throat> these kinds of approaches, which are ensuring that we're focusing on the right thing, means that people need to really make a, a change and divert from perhaps some of the traditional interventions they've been doing and investing in in things which are really going to make a difference in creating a safe system. So um, I think it's it's taking the words off those pages and really being proactive and understanding what we all need to do different to move forward. I guess one of the things you're touching on there is having effectively a national performance management framework. Is that because one of the things that you think is missing is a sense of potentially a, a sense of consistency without the national picture being addressed? We risk developing lots and lots of different flavours of local safe system and unless you put that national framework in place you risk missing parts of the system because uh, it, it spawns quite differently in different places absolutely and i think at, at the moment we have 43 police forces we're really in danger of having 43 different versions of safe system to suit local needs when we work with with partnerships and and authorities on the creation of their strategies obviously it's we don't just rip up everything they've done before and say start again, but we're kind of easing in safe system. But um, what it does mean is there is an opportunity for them to cherry pick which bits of the system that they feel more comfortable with, where they have the resources, also where they have um, the influence. And without that national consistency, you're quite right, we're going to end up with um, we're not going to get to safe system. We're going to um, probably be doing the same as we've always done, but just under a different name. And again, one of the recommendations that got pulled out was around uh, data and evidence. Obviously, Agilisys has got a great deal of experience in working with large transport data sets. But is that what you mean about the need to increase the uh, investment or capability around that? How is data currently limiting? safe system delivery? Um, I think it's because it, in the way that people are looking at it in a reactive way, because that's how traditionally we've looked at hotspots or um, junction analysis, um, very much about backwards thinking um, about what's what's happened previously rather than that proactivity. So I think it's about understanding the different combinations of factors which will lead to increased risk. So how do we take speed data and non-compliance on the roads and layer that up with crash data, layer it up with vehicle use data, um, land use and, and road design? How do we bring all of these layers together to get a true picture of, okay, this, there may not have been crashes on this particular bend for the last 10 years, but actually that this collection of factors 
combined do increase risk here and it's possibly only a matter of time so i think it's it's equipping people with the skills and the data sets in order to be able to analyze those and then make those quite brave decisions to invest in something in a place where something hasn't happened yet but as a preventative measure and i guess that's also going to bring us back into the question of funding which was one of the first things you talked about in terms of uh, the results and analysis that arise from the survey in the recommendations investments been grouped with innovation and technology why do you think those topics are so inextricably linked from a safe system point of view and what should we be doing to address them so <clears throat> road authorities can't do this on their own um in fact many of the interventions which are identified in that international best practice are owned by a variety of different stakeholders. It comes back to that shared responsibility concept right at the beginning. So we need to be working with others, both in the private sector as well as the public sector in order to be able to, to deliver safe system. So that's one part of it. But also we need to be able to gather the evidence of what works. Again, the international literature is international. This is a, this is a, a a concept which originated in Sweden and the Netherlands has been tried and tested in Australia. But actually, what evidence do we have in the UK about what works on our road network um, and what might be the most successful approach for us? Um, at the moment, we, we haven't got that evidence and therefore we need to invest um, in order to be able to gather that. And finally, I guess we should also touch on how we can build capacity within the profession. How do we start to address that and who do we need to involve to ensure that we have got a profession that's fit for purpose to meet this safe system ambition? So again, I think it comes back to leadership, which we've talked about a, a great deal, but that commitment to making sure that we are um, a well-equipped profession. And perhaps profession here is one of the words that we've talked about professional standards, especially in road safety education. Engineers do have standards to, to work to, but lots of work that we've done in the past has shown that actually um, road safety educators feel like the poor relations, that their profession isn't taken seriously and, and there aren't those standards and expectations of them. So I think there is an element there of, of setting that um, those levels of what's expected and increasing the skills mix so we probably need a training framework both on the concepts of safe system and what it means in people's roles but also what do they now have to do and training specifically in those in those various elements of the safe system so I think there's quite a lot of work to be done um, in educating and and equipping. Brilliant and then as we conclude I guess it would be remiss of me not to ask the question, what comes next? I mean, what, in your view, are the next steps that we need to put in place to really maximise the value that we've got from this analysis of uh, capacity, particularly within public sector road safety delivery? Sure. So I think um, given that it's about a system, there are voices that we didn't capture this time round. Um, we specifically, as I said at the beginning, um, focused on those with a statutory or, or statutory duty or responsibility for road safety. But actually, we had an awful lot of NGOs and voluntary organisations um, knocking on the door, desperate to become involved in, in this um, survey. And obviously, they do have a role to, role to play through that shared responsibility agenda. So I think probably the next step in the next iteration of this survey is to make sure that we capture those 
views and understand their contributions and their needs in terms of capacity and capability. And I suppose really coming back time and time again to that leadership point, we really need engagement from DFT here in order to be able to start to address some of these these needs and concerns of the of the sector in order to help the DFT implement the, the new road safety framework when it comes. They're going to need those people on the ground to be well equipped in order to do that. Fantastic stuff. Tanya, I just want to say thank you very much to you for your time and taking us through everything that's uh, presented there within the white paper. For our listeners, if you want to download it, we'll make sure that there is a link for you to be able to access the white paper in full in the show notes. But that brings us to the end of our second episode of Think Agility, the new podcast series from Agilisys. We do hope that this brings you the kind of insight and intelligence that you're looking for to help you develop as a road safety professional or somebody who's interested within the highway sector. So please do look out for more episodes. And as I said at the top of the show, if you're interested in the content that we've got to share, make sure that you subscribe and maybe even leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. So we hope to see you again soon for more interesting discussion and debate around important issues facing the highway sector. But for now, stay safe out there and we look forward to seeing you soon.